So hello, welcome to an episode of Elixir Mix. Uh, today I'm leading this uh, as the host is Alan uh, Weimer. And today we have Adi Iyengar in the panel. Hello. And we have uh, Derek Kron. I think that's how you say your name. I forgot to ask yep. before. Um, that's yeah. Good. Yeah, so I, I, the name looked familiar, but then I had to look up, look you up, and then I noticed your, your online social media picture. And I've definitely seen that one quite a few times before. Did you speak before at a conference? Uh, yeah, one tiny conference in Italy. Uh, I'm not sure uh, you'd recognize me from there, but I'm all over the place. I'm on Twitter. I'm on the Slack. Um, yeah. You're on the Google, it looks like, too. I'm uh, on the Google. <laughs> yep. I've seen, I seen you there. Yeah, like I said, your social media picture stood out. I think you've just been really involved with Elixir uh, a lot. It's probably why I've seen your picture before. Yeah, and, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you're working on uh, something for selling uh, paid libraries. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Code Code Ship. That's uh, been my uh, passion project for the last year and a half. Yep. Well, it's interesting that you're doing that because that was originally, I think, but. Um, I think Jose wanted to do quite a few years ago, but he gave up on it for some reason. And yep. you took this up and it seems like you were able to somehow make this work. I mean, I'm kind of curious about, I mean, did you start this before or after his endeavor? Definitely after um, his endeavor. Um, and I talked to him about it as well. Uh, asked him all these questions like, why, why did you just keep building it and all this? Um, because I was also kind of curious. Um, yeah. And in terms of making it work, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it certainly works, but <laughs> whether it works commercially is a completely other question, of course. But uh, to be to be determined, I would say. But I mean, um, I, I, are we even here to talk about that? I forgot what what, what was the point of talking today. <laughs> or we're just talking about many different things today. I think we can talk about a ton of things. I think I feel like Derek has done yeah. enough that we could. Probably talk for hours. Yeah, definitely. So, <laughs> yeah, I apologize if I'm a little bit flustered. Uh, I had microphone issues for like 20 minutes, so that's why I'm a little bit off. Um, yeah, why, why don't we kind of keep going on with with the the ship ship code thing because that's kind of something that a lot of people are looking into. Uh, I mean, it's it is tricky to kind of keep these projects going that people want to work on. Uh, you want to be able to give something probably really useful for free, but then give some nice benefits to people who want to support your work. Um, how, how do you kind of Handle this. Um, I mean, we can talk specifically about Elixir side or or all of them because you support what Elixir, Ruby, and a couple others too, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we um, we support a few languages now. Uh, NuGet is also on there. JavaScript, um, Rust. Um, yeah, and and you're totally right. It's all about uh, uh, sustainability, really. Like, how do you keep these projects going um, long term? Uh, and that's for a lot of projects. Kind of like an unanswered question, um, I think. I mean, how do you uh, handle this? Because for me, like, it, obviously with languages like C, you can definitely, you can just give out like a compiled binary or not, not, not necessarily a binary, but like a library, right? And just provide yeah. a header file to know how to use it. But with something like uh, Ruby, Python, even I'm guessing with Rust and Elixir, you're probably also distributing the source code because I'm guessing you probably could distribute something uh, that's compiled, but I, I haven't ever seen that strictly only for like... Uh, Elixir stuff. So, I mean, how does that work in a way that's like safe and I can trust that my my stuff will be, you know, in good hands? Yeah, like how do you prevent people from stealing your code and just that's kind of one. Like, I didn't want to say it outright like yeah. that, you know, because I'm <laughs> part of that code stealing uh, community kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I would almost like turn around the question and say, 
like you know you're you're you guys work at a company and um would you like if you're on the lookout for a library you want to use it and somebody kind of like approaches you in a back alley and says like hey guys like uh you want a library <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's uh it's not it's not the most uh like you don't want to be sourcing your libraries from uh the guy who stole them and, and is offering them for free you know you never know like has this guy tampered with the source code uh is it up to date with all the latest bug fixes like all of these things um are are kind of like i think keeping people away from just copying the code and passing it around um not to mention you know like we all want kind of like reproducible builds we all want this kind of like predictability. These are all reasons to to go straight to the source, right? And in our case, like we're we're really putting a lot of effort into making sure that we integrate seamlessly with the experience people, you know, uh, are used to. So you want to just be running like a mixed apps get, and and it all just like uh, happens, right? Um, I don't want to be like vendoring uh, stuff, like copying files, none of that stuff. So it's it's um, our approach is to to offer the the yeah the least friction uh, possible and um, yeah be that sort of like trusted um, source and you know part of the reason you're paying for these packages anyways is to um, to make sure that they because uh, you want you want to like the reason you pay for it make sure is to make sure that you've got a package that continues to be maintained in the future. Um, right. I think that's what a lot of people like about Oban. That's, that's, that's why the quality is so high. That's why it's still in like an active project after five years. Um, it's because this guy's getting, you know, he's, he's making money off of it and that gives him the, the ability to keep it up to date and, and improve it, uh, all the time. And that's also, you know, what you, what you're looking for if you're, if you're paying for a library, that's, uh, actually part of the, the sort of, uh, selling point is that you can pay um for it you know when you're like looking at a library sorry i'm kind of like rambling now but you're looking at a library like one of the questions you're you're probably going to ask yourself is how sustainable is this library and if it's like uh you know there's a couple different kind of like answers to that right like if it's a phoenix and you can look and see okay chris mccord fly employs him like he's it's big the project is big enough that someone's getting sponsored to work on um or like elixir right to say as like uh with bite uh what's called his company um that shit, I believe. Yeah, um, he's he's got like these uh, support contracts with a bunch of different companies. So like the money's coming in, work it will continue on that, right? And and you know another answer to that question could be, uh, you know, they're making money on a pro version. Um, so that that can answer that that kind of question as well. Well, I mean, there's also quite a few questions too, which is like, um, you know, what does it mean if I if I do pay and then I stop paying, does that mean I'm stuck at a specific version? Does that mean uh, I can no longer download uh, the same one that I have already? Uh, like, what does that mean? Or do you actually support different models? And uh, do you do any kind of ways to protect uh, the authentication method? And, you know, I got so many questions about how this kind of stuff works at a high level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's, I mean, I'm definitely... Uh, um... Like it's still kind of in the the early stages, but I think it is very reasonable to assume that um, if you've paid, uh, you know, a subscription, that you keep access to the latest version that was released before you canceled your subscription. I think that's. Yeah. Um, I can't. I can't remember exactly if that's how it all works under the hood right now, but um, 
you know, there's there's other models that we're that we're also kind of like experimenting with. Um, see if anybody's actually interested in them. Um, yeah, what were the other? Uh, I think some of the other questions is like, yeah. Um, so the so the, the one you just answered right now, which is okay, if I stop paying. I'll be at a specific version. Is that for everybody or is that like a configurable thing per package, per author? I'm kind of curious because this is some questions that people who maybe do want something like this, you know, what are the limitations? What are the, what can they offer, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah, I believe that we've got that configured to to work that way, like standard for everybody. So any package that you've subscribed to, yeah. All right. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be pretty tough to kind of also, you know, police that right like say say i want someone to you know do this like link that people use in their mix uh that access to only be accessible if they are paying it right but if the if the old version of source code already has it right like they have the code they like what derek was saying like it's a, it's a good assumption that they might still use it i think that's why a lot of like oban monthly payment i think i think it's like a um the support is like kind of included in that too and uh especially the companies that use it heavily um like we reach out to parker periodically uh for support and you know obviously you can only get that if you're you know a paying customer so um yeah uh, i i don't i don't know i really don't know how you're doing police uh that elixir code uh uh you have to do some weird uh encryption based verification on a startup or something right uh but that has to be time-based too. I don't know how you would even do that. It's definitely something that I'm maybe interested in pursuing in the future. Like a, yeah, like some some way to to build that into your package that you can say like, um, you know, uh, someone provides their license key with configuration, and then there's like a call calling home thing. Obviously, that's something you have to like, you know, uh, communicate upfront. Um, to users, but that's that's certainly another kind of like possibility. It's not something that I built, but um, yeah, you know, for a different class of software, I think uh, could be interesting. I think it'd be cool to like uh, you know have a way to build the binary based on the given distribution, and instead of the mix EXS, like just get the binary itself, right? That might be a way to prevent reuse to some extent, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's uh, one of those uh, uh, luxury problems. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, what kinds of licenses do you offer? Because I can imagine, you know, like a company like Audius, they'd probably want to have more support. Uh, also, they probably have, uh, hun- you know, I think you have at least tens of developers, if not hundreds of developers working, right? Yeah. You're shaking your head. Yes. Off, 100 plus. Off yeah, 100 <laughs> plus. Um, you know, how does that part work? I mean, should we be sharing the same key? You know, so many questions or would each developer have their own? I mean, do you have these kinds of different configurations where I could choose if it's like one org, one key, or et cetera? Yeah, you mean like how do we authenticate uh, customers? Um, well, I mean, that and also like, because obviously maybe I have different pricing, right? So like a company like Audis, I maybe I want to charge a little bit less because I get more per head if I want to charge per head, you know? Right. Yeah, if you want, if you want to, I mean, like right now, um, we're supporting like the basic use cases, right? Like you are, uh, you want to like buy a library, like subscribe to a library, and uh, you get a license key, and you can include that in your in your uh, mix configuration, and then you just get access, right? Um, and that means that if you're working like a big company, 
Um, you're going to be uh, putting that license key probably somewhere where your uh, employees can can access it. Um, and there's not there's not a lot of like uh, big corp uh, features built in yet, right? Like I don't know, single sign on and all this um, is not is not a thing that that we support. First, it has to kind of yeah, like show its value uh, commercially, and then those things are kind of like somewhere down the line on the on the roadmap. Um, yeah. I think most of these packages, they don't really scale up per um, developer, right? Like I think uh, at least like the ones I have experienced with, I feel like they generally have a maybe like a one or two developer plan and then like maybe unlimited, right? Uh, because yeah. it, it, I don't think it like necessarily affects the amount of support linearly as the developers grow, right? So it, it also is simple. Um, simplification for them to to like manage all these numbers. You know, as the companies grow, they can't like keep giving them different bill every month and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it also makes sense. Uh, I was looking at like I think uh, code code ship right. Like the the website is more like the maybe the enforcer of the contract, which is you know maybe drafted by the writer, right? So instead of like you guys uh, policing all of these, you know, uh, who, how much money someone's going to pay who and how many developers and stuff, maybe the uh, owner can do that somehow. And like, you're just like providing a, you know, a channel to provide the the package to the user, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. We we are essentially resellers um, in that in that sense. So we do cont- like handle all of the, like, um, not the terms of the specific license, but there is a license, of course, between Cocoa Chip and the seller in between Cocoa Chip and the, the buyer, right? Um, but, you know, the license terms that you want to offer your package under, that's that's kind of up to you. Um, like, what can what can the user do with their packet, with the package, right? And you see, if you look uh, around the the kind of the ecosystem, not necessarily just Elixir, but um, the greater, like, ecosystem, um, you know, some, some projects have chosen a very kind of like flat structure. And that's, if you look at Oban, like that's all you get, right? You pay like a hundred euros or a hundred dollars a month and you get everything. It doesn't matter if you're like Microsoft or uh, bootstrapping on your own. Right. Um, and you also have other guys that are, that have, you know, different, different plans and they're not so much differentiating those on the, on the basis of like what code you get, but you know, sometimes more like uh, like I saw one. There's one. Um, there's a Java sidekick clone. I can't remember the name now. But um, he had like a, an extra tier, and the the what you got from the extra tier was like you could call his like personal cell phone. He'd pick it up like night or day. You know what I mean? So these are the kinds of like extra features that you might be paying for if you're like a big corp and you really need that kind of extra guarantee. But then I think you're you're getting into like as you alluded to before like support is part of the package and that's probably what you're going to pay for if you pay more um and i think the other the other kind of like uh side of the equation is that you've got to pick like pricing that is kind of no-brainer for um people right the deal is like like i spend a lot of effort as a developer to build something that's good and that works um there would be too much like it's it's too much effort for any one person to get like get all of the the benefit from uh and then i sell that right i like i amortize my my investment over you know x number of companies maybe that's like 100 companies then you've actually got a pretty decent user base and 
you know, if, if you keep these guys on for, for 10 years, then they're going to end up paying 120 times the subscription fee in the end. Like that's, you know, you've made your money back and then some. Um, and I think if you kind of go that way, you know, like, uh, yeah, you can't necessarily like optimize uh, everything to the to the complete, like like pull every penny out of it. You know what I mean? And I don't think that's what a lot of people try to do either. Like Oban is like, you know, it's a hundred dollars, and it doesn't. If you're like a little guy and you're you're extracting benefit like to the tune of two hundred dollars a month, he's cool with that. And if you're extracting value to the tune of twenty thousand dollars a month, you know that's just like how it is. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. I was trying to see which which packages maybe I might, I I may know that they're actually on Code Coach yet, but um, unless I actually know the name, it seems I cannot find them unless there's no unless there's a directory page somewhere I'm not aware of. Yeah, there's um, there's one uh, one Elixir package on there right now, or Erlang package actually. It's HTTP Cache. Well, he's got two of them, but HTTP Cache Pro and HTTP Cache something uh, Disk Cache or something uh, Pro. Um, so we do we just launched this year actually, uh, and it's been like a little bit uh, slow going. Um, I, you know, as they say, nobody wants to be uh, someone else's biggest customer. So yeah. it's uh, yeah. It's getting the getting the like anybody who's already solved this problem is not super keen to to switch. Um, so it's it's uh, it's going to be like a slow burn uh, if it uh, if we catch any sparks. Yeah. Uh, uh, do Do you have any people using the HTTP um, cache? Uh, not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Yeah. This is another. You know, like. Uh, I have to market Coco Chip, and then right, someone starts right. using it. They have to market their library. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's that's also like a whole sort of secondary challenge. Right. Um, yeah. It's a tough. It's a tough challenge. Yeah. But but I, I, I think I think cool thing is like again I, at least I don't know of a solution like this right. And um, the more we make people aware of it, the more people you know will be open to maybe turning an open source version of the library into like a more pro-like library. And, you know, and since, since code courtship is already there, you know, um, it, 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 there's, there's a, there's a, there's a chance, you know, that it could really, you know, uh, get, get, get caught on. Yeah. It's, it's a tough, it's a, it's a, it's a tough marketing gig though. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, the benefit is if, if one person starts using it and they market their thing, I kind of like piggyback on that a little bit. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like anybody who comes to this website to 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 buy HTTP Cache Pro right. is gonna, you know, come in contact with the model, and hopefully, like the synapses start firing, and uh, uh, they try, decide to try it themselves. I mean, I, I won't say that it's necessarily easy. Yeah, you know, you still have to like build a whole pro library, but uh, yeah, yeah. I guess like one more question I would have, like I, I know Hex PM was uh the uptime was kind of an issue in 2015 2016 sometimes right oh you mean like at the very beginning <laughs> yeah at the very beginning right right right, <laughs> right. uh we, this is like at least for the customer side replacing xpm right if i'm understanding correctly like you would it would be the uh it would be the url people will fetch packages through um, yes yes i mean I know since someone is using it's not as urgent, but you probably yeah. want to address the uptime before you get a customer too, right? So do do you have like do you use it in personal 
uh, projects or, uh, you know, maybe non-production like applications to, you know, test it out and also have enough time, a way to make sure that time is like close to 100%? Um, I'm not using it in any personal projects uh, yet. Um, but what I will say is that I spent some time, um, you know, like everything served from a CDN. It's it's all very like robust in that sense. So I'm not I'm not like pushing a lot of bytes from from uh, from the actual server itself. Um, so that should help quite a lot with uh, uh, scalability. And I think I'll have plenty of time to. Uh, uh, to notice when things are going uh, <laughs> going the wrong way makes sense. I, yeah. I'm a little disappointed that it's not dog fooded. You know, I would have written like any a silly library just that just like, <laughs> prints high in a plug and used it in the co- code code ships code itself, right? Um, yeah, but okay. So I thought about that, but then I was thinking, <laughs> what happens if code code chip is broken? Can I even fix it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now you're starting to make me wonder about how the hell the deployments for XPM go. That sounds a little bit. <laughs> well, yeah, that's like a <laughs> tricky, uh, you know, <laughs> area. I think as long as you have everything downloaded, you're probably okay. But uh, I, I think there's yeah. a part yeah. of XPM that has no packages. That's why there's like if you go to the XPM oh. repo, there is uh, an app that has no packages. Whose responsibility uh, is is to like maybe provide the packages that other apps need, uh, but yeah, that that I mean that's a very good point. <laughs> that would be that would be very clever. Some Inception stuff going on. <laughs> about that. Yeah, bootstrapping your package manager. Yeah, <laughs> that's the kind of problems you have to deal with. Kind of starts to remind me of back in the day when you wanted to get um, was it? I think if you wanted to get like NPM working or something, you had to like install Bower or something. It's been a while since I've done this stuff. I forgot what the heck it was. Um, yeah. But but uh, coming back to this, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, the only thing for me that I would love to see is kind of like a way to see like all the packages there because at least you can have a directory and then you could choose if there's something interesting there for you. Uh, but I understand you're still starting off. So it's, there's a lot of things to do. There's never ending list of things to do, right? Of course, yeah, 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 and I'm bootstrapping this too, right? So it's uh, it's just yeah. me, um, yeah. But uh, directory is definitely on the list of of uh, of things to do. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's that's it's still a pretty cool idea. I like that you got to work in. So when you talk to Jose, I don't know if you if you're allowed to talk about uh, what was talked about, like uh, why he didn't consider to keep going, and and uh, you know has. Has have you solved things that were issues for him, and and vice versa? Um, yeah, my my understanding. We talked about this in January, so that's already like ten months ago. Um, but because the, they, I think they worked on it for a couple months, and then they were in talks with uh, some like existing players to kind of uh, to get some like early customers, right? Like people who already had packages, not only people but companies that already had packages and were kind of like facing this distribution problem. Um, And what he told me is that um, they didn't stop necessarily because of any like technical issues. It was more that they realized that the market was just super tough. Um, Like he said, like uh, a lot of the companies out there were only really willing to pay for like bandwidth. You know what I'm saying? So like really like a business of like small margins. 
like super, you know, like supermarket model, <laughs> right? Like yeah. 2% margin. And they, they were not like interested in that. Um, and there was also like, uh, like they built something and it, it worked to, to some, some degree. And then I think, um, there was like some hurdle, like, uh, like they would have had to like build in CDN support or something like that. And they were just looking at this kind of like mountain that they have to climb just to get like low margins and they yeah. decided it wasn't worth it. Yeah. And I don't know why I decided it was worth it. I mean, I don't know if it is worth it. It's uh it's it's one of those things where like as a someone who's like bootstrapping it, like I can build it and then market it and then go do something else and kind of like wait around and see if it see if it does anything. Um and if you're if you're like a Jose, you probably want more like immediate results. Like you had you had three or four people working on it. Um yeah, it it uh, it's not it's not something that's taking off like a rocket ship, right? Like it's going to be like a slow burn, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what he told me, anyways. Yeah, no, that that definitely makes sense. I can imagine. I think uh, I don't know programs are kind of weird. Like we we do see the value in paying for stuff, but at the same time, it's like, oh, I have to pay for that for myself. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, is it really? Yeah, worth yeah, it? yeah. Yeah, um, and I think anybody who's already has it, like who already has it yeah. working, like uh, like Parker's already gone through all the pain. You know, yeah. he's got something that works. There would have something big would have to happen, like uh, like Hex would have to like change all the formats uh, overnight or something, and then you know something like that, which I don't think is going to happen um, for him to consider like moving off, or or the platform would have to be big already, um, and then. You know, maybe he would do it, but uh, being like the biggest customer, like right away, is not. It's not what you want um, as a company, right? Yeah, but you have some pretty good integration already with how everything kind of works. So, did you need to talk with the Hex team to get something to work? Because I can imagine they'd be very open for for something like that. Yeah, there were there were a couple. Um, there were definitely a couple issues along the way. I think more with Erlang than with Elixir, like Rebar. Um, yeah. yeah, because Elixir already, you know, like Oban is a thing. Uh, he's mm-hmm. already got this like this integration working quite well. So if there were any kind of like issues with Hex, um, I think he's already kind of like ironed that out, like with the Hex team as well. So everything actually just kind of just worked. Um, and in fact, there's a great package hex core, which, uh, which also helps a lot, um, with, with a lot of that stuff. Um, so that it wasn't so difficult with, with hex, but with, uh, yeah, with rebar, there were, I had to submit a couple of PRs to, um, to get that actually working, uh, correctly. So, yeah, it's, it's been, uh. But you know they were great about uh, getting those getting those merged and released, so that was uh, no problem really. Yeah. How about the other languages that you support and that you're trying to support right now? How has that most, been? Yeah, most of them are pretty good. Rust is kind of a bit of an exception. Um, with Rust, uh, they're still kind of trying to figure out how to support um, third party registries and especially like the authentication part of it is kind of a, a question mark. I think I think they're getting close to, or they may have just recently um, moved something into into the core. Um, but that was yeah, that was a bit of a, a weird one. Um, and some of the other ones like Ruby is is a strange package manager, like the RPM or not RPM, a uh, Ruby Gems. Mm-hmm. Of course not RPM. 
RPM is something else. Um, and what are the other ones? Uh, NuGet was also pretty normal. Um, NPM was actually very normal. It's just JSON. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, you got to kind of like just figure out where, where you kind of hook into these things. Like where, where are they, where, where does the configuration have to live? How do how does it all work? But, um, the nice thing is I get to write like some really easy integration tests. It's a, it's an MPA. Like I, you know, it's just the commands that you see, uh, in the interface on the publish page. Those are the commands in my, uh, my integration tests. And I just, uh, massage things until they work. So all in all, not not so bad, I would say. Yeah, it's, not, it's not too bad. I mean, is is it the HTTP cache stuff? Is that the only package you have on there right now for all the different languages, or is there any other language that has some packages? That's the only one. That's the only one. Yep. Okay. Well, yeah. The first one's the hardest. It's kind of like um, what do you call that? It's like a slow snowball effect, right? And it's going to be like an avalanche usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's hope so. But it's uh, it's also uh, a bit of a challenge because the the, the different ecosystems seem to be quite like uh, yeah separate from from each other uh, to yeah. a large degree yeah like anybody nobody is gonna like nobody in Go is gonna discover uh, Cocoa Chip because there's an airline package on it you know what I'm saying so it's uh, I gotta solve the same problem a few times but um, yeah I think I think there are like quite a few. like the marketing I've done has been pretty effective in terms of at least getting like eyeballs on the site. Um, if not, you know, actually having people, uh, using it actively. Um, so in that sense, I think I could probably, you know, uh, say that I've tested the, 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 or at least done, done everything I, I can to, to kind of like, like I didn't, I didn't just throw it up there and then not market it. You know what I mean? Like we've had a good, like 20,000 people come to the site, um, since we launched. So. It's out there. Some people know about it. Oh, we we know about it. Exactly. And hopefully, your listeners are going to know about it too now. Yeah, that'd be great. I think I got a pretty good understanding about it. Sorry, Adi, uh, do you have a question? Oh no, I was going to actually uh, um, try to shift our conversation <laughs> to another. Uh, topic, if that's okay with you, Alan. I would love to it's talk about it. This is what forward. I was trying to do, but Adi, it's okay. You're doing such a good job. Go ahead and continue. I was going to say, like, speaking of packages pro that are pro-worthy and awesome Alexa packages, uh, um, Horde is one of the packages that, Derek, uh, you've written, right? And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I know it's, like, supposed to be, like, a Swarm replacement, but if you could, like, at a high level explain what is the problem that Swarm and Horde solve, and then what does Horde do differently? That'd be awesome. Sure. Um, yeah. So uh, Swarm and Horde are both. Um, yeah, I guess you you call them like uh, distributed uh, task runners. Like you you've got you got like a bunch of tasks and you want to run them in some like uh, like evenly across all your nodes. Uh, you could reach for like a Horde or a Swarm, um, and they both work. Uh, without any kind of like external database necessary. So it's all like they're, I guess you'd use the word ephemeral, right? You turn off the machine, it's just gone. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the, um, the, the, the short version of what both of those packages do. Um, Swarm has, 
you know, like the the feature sets uh, differ a little bit. Um, Swarm has more support for like automatic handovers. So you're shutting down a node, and then how do I get the state from my processes from the one node to the other node? And the Horde um, doesn't. It kind of like leaves you up to your own devices uh, for that. Um, when I was building it, I didn't. I kind of. I don't want to say I punted on that, but I, I kind of decided that it was out of scope for for this type of library. You know, if you want to do like some kind of state handover, you can just build it into your gen service yourself. Was my thought. Um, and yeah, like why did uh, I build Horde and not just use Swarm? Um, it's been a while. I think I started like 2017. I started building this or 2018. And um, I can't remember the exact details anymore, like why exactly. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I do, I remember like the general story. So I was working at a Dutch telco <coughs> and they they had this like Ruby, this thing they built in Ruby, like totally homegrown, no database. Like they were, or no, I think they were using RabbitMQ. And um, they were basically trying to do the same thing. Like they wanted to have, uh, like three nodes set up and they wanted to like run stuff like uh, distribute across these nodes and have some kind of like redundancy. Um, but also, also some kind of like uniqueness, right? So you say like, uh, Oh, because uh, they're, they're talking to like, you're a telco, you've got like modems and switches and every, all this hardware spread out over the country and you want to be able to maintain this hardware. And so you want to, you, you know, if you're like uh, running a command, like update the firmware on modem X, uh, you don't want another command to come along and send another message to the same modem, right? So they wanted to be able to, to, to have this sort of like concept of uniqueness as well. Um, and this Ruby thing didn't really work. Like they, it was just breaking all the time. And it was, you know, they had like a nice dashboard, which would uh, show when the, when, when some queues got orphaned and uh, somebody would kick the system uh, and, and it would restart and, uh, <clears throat> you know, and, and they'd be back uh, up and running. But it was kind of clear that it wasn't like uh, the final iteration of the solution. Um, so that's when I got the strange idea to rebuild it in Elixir. Um, and I actually did try to use Swarm at the beginning, and I cannot remember exactly why it wasn't suitable. Um, and I even tried, I went in, I'm a big proponent of like reading the code. I read like a lot of code, like all the libraries I'm using, I'm reading all that code. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I was like looking and trying to figure out ways. How can we fix this? How can we make this work for us? Cause I didn't, you know, I don't really want, I didn't, I didn't start with the idea of like, hey, I'm going to be the guy who wrote the library. <laughs> like, I wanted to just solve my problem. Um, yeah. And in the end, I, I, I kind of concluded that it would be easier to just write my own. Yeah. Famous <clears throat> last words, uh, I would say. But um, that was kind of the, the birth uh, of, uh, of Horde. And the the I would say the biggest sort of difference that sets them apart is is like the the thing that that swarm does that horde does not do is swarm tries to in my opinion do too many things it's a registry and a supervisor in one and you get kind of like weird things which happen when you do that um, and horde is really like the the idea is there to separate the two concepts. So there's a horde dynamic supervisor and a horde registry, 
<clears throat> and these these um, these uh, these modules really mirror uh, the API of the existing um, like Elixir dynamic reg or dynamic supervisor and Elixir registry. Um, so that's kind of like the other sort of innovation that I think Horde brought to the table is just the developer experience is like super straightforward. You can almost like require like add Horde to your project and just change it from you know with a couple extra steps. You got to like connect up the the cluster or whatever. But if you kind of like just drop in a Horde dynamic supervisor instead of dynamic supervisor, it should just work. Uh, and the same for the registry. Um, so that's that's. Uh, I would say like the biggest difference between the two. They're really intended to be used together um, in a lot of ways, but they are still separate things, separate modules. And the API yeah. is like identical to uh, the Elixir one, except for that we don't support every single option uh, that's out there in the Elixir version. Yeah. Gotcha. I, I think one big uh, difference that I, I just at a high level looking at Hor that I'm seeing is that you have a way to explicitly um, um, add a member to the cluster, whereas Swarm just uses the node. Uh, so you won't have the option to, um, um, right? You have to like, uh, uh, you would have to like maybe uh, wrap that around because you know node list. You don't want all nodes in the cluster necessarily uh, to be providing a service. Uh, that's that's a good that's a good win, I guess, for Horde in that in that in that uh, use case. Uh, maybe that was one of the reasons. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that was one of the reasons, but uh, that's definitely, I mean, I'm kind of the guy who like goes out there and if I'm going to do something, I'm like, I'm just questioning every like assumption and trying to figure out like, well, what should it, how should it be? Um, so I couldn't tell you like exactly why I did it that way, but uh, it seemed uh, like a good approach at the time, I suppose. And I think, I think it has mostly turned out to be that way. You know, I, later on, some, some people came and they were like, oh, this is annoying. Can we also just like, here's a pull request to have cluster like auto clustering. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll merge that. So I think we got kind of the best of both worlds uh, in that sense. For sure. I, I guess like I'm going to like quickly talk about this problem again for our listeners. I remember like four or five years ago when I learned about this problem, I did not really understand what problem it is. So maybe just like give an example uh, to like dig a little, little bit more if you guys have time. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, um, so I guess like take an example, right? Where you have, uh, an application and you're deploying many containers or in terms of you know Kubernetes, many replicas of it, right? You want to scale it, right? And that application is running many processes. Um, memory such as high, um, the Kubernetes horizontal uh, uh, scaler kicks in, the HPA kicks in, and it adds a new replica, right? Y- y- now, you have the option without this uh, distributed supervisor, for lack of a better word, to just like start all the processes in that new replica and divide the traffic at the network layer or at a supervision layer you could say hey you know i have these 10 processes let's divide these 10 processes across those nodes instead of starting all 10 and every node right that's the uh advantage of this distributed supervisor that swarm and horde kind of give you uh, a big use case would be if you're letting a very heavy supervisor like i don't know um like a pruner uh, that runs a delete every now and then i know Oban does that. Uh, and you want to set it only on one node, right? Like that's uh, something in user distribute and make sure only one instance of that is started across mm-hmm. your uh, nodes and stuff like that. Uh, I think it's still a problem that I feel Elixir community hasn't, is yet to solve in the, there's yet to be a perfect solution, 
right? Yeah, like one yeah. go-to solution. But uh, I, I, I feel like, you know, uh, at least in my company, we have a kind of a not yet open source package to deal with this, but relies on Postgres. Like that's like, I think it's like a big uh-huh. negative of that, but it does solve a lot of other problems. I, I think, I think, I think we will probably start seeing more solutions uh, now that bigger companies with more load are using Elixir more and more and needing to distribute the load across uh, nodes dynamically. So anyway, just wanted to like paint the picture for our listeners. I know a lot of our listeners are like beginners and mid-level. So yeah. 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 It's really, if you're like, uh, if you want to have state, like singleton state and distribute that uh, across your cluster. Yeah. But I think like what you're saying that there's no like one one solution. I think that also does does doesn't exist, right? Uh, a single solution yeah. for these problems. It's you know uh, like running things on single node. There's a lot of like just obvious ways to to tackle certain problems, right? Like uh, like sorting a list or making an HTTP request, right? There's not that many different ways you can do that. But as soon as you start going into distributed. Um, and Horde does not solve every problem either, right? It's it's a uh, it's a tool that I would say is like limited in its usefulness. Um, and uh, you know you can definitely outgrow it, uh, and then you'll have to figure something out uh, on your own. But uh, hopefully, it gets you far enough that uh, that you, you can validate your your business case and get to the point where you can make those kinds of like investments uh, of time and and money. Um, yeah. But uh, you were saying also about uh, like just running one single process somewhere, because I have another library called Highlander, which which does that. Oh, very um, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which it's built on Global, and then you said something about Postgres, and I was like, because there's been this idea in my head, and like, why is Highlander like a thing? Because people download this, people use this in their projects, and it's a like the whole uh, like it's maybe fifty lines of code, right? Right. But it's it's. Um, you know, it's like it's packaging global, and I don't want to say it's like a left pad because it's not like left pad. But you know, there's a reason that libraries like left pad exist, right? And it's because you know we we want that like that sort of wrapped up package experience, that developer experience, um, and you know uh, things like Highlander give you that. And I actually have had an idea in my head for a while to do uh, because a lot of people have. Uh, like I think there's a lot of people who do distributed stuff maybe a little bit too soon because there's so many people who have like Postgres in the middle of their cluster, right? Like everybody right. has like a, however many machines they got, there's always a database in the middle of it. Like for 98% of applications, right? You have to get like gigascale before you outgrow Postgres. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Postgres also has advisory locks. And if you have, if you have something at the middle of your, you know, cluster that is a singleton, which is your database, right? For most people, um, you should use it. And so I also wanted to build, I haven't got around to it yet, but build a version of Highlander that that works on Postgres uh, advisory locks because that is to me is like a no-brainer. Like it just works. Everybody's got a database. Most people are using Postgres. Um, yeah, it would be great to uh, to have that as well. Maybe you guys should uh, release it. I'm yeah, not sure that's exactly what you built, but uh. <laughs> well, that that is one of the things that's part of that package. And I, I think I think there is there has been a lot of talks about releasing it it's just the effort it takes to write all the documentation and you know prepare it for the uh public release that's what that's what's stopping everyone but yeah it's it uh yeah it, it's it's uh the 
as Shinarts in the package name. But yeah, it it it, it kind of has this um, Highlander thing, like ability to have a singleton process across um, yeah. nodes, and it also has what you know Horde does of like explicit registration of a member. So not all the nodes in your cluster automatically get registered like they do in mm-hmm. Swarm, right? So it's mm-hmm. it gives a lot more fine grained control. But uses Postgres as like the middleman. Um, which at our scale, the rate at which we scale up and scale down, Postgres is kind of becoming bottleneck now. <laughs> We're like ah, moving yeah, to yeah. Redis or something else, like faster mm-hmm. queries and stuff. Uh, but but yeah, uh, it's 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 a pretty good solution. I think we should definitely open source that hopefully soon. Yeah, yeah, you should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually I remember this Horde library now because um, I was super attracted to it uh, many years ago. Uh, you already had the link on there, but I saw that. Uh, because I was still beginning at that time in 2018, it's still kind of early in my Elixir days, even now I still think it's quite early. And I saw that where the guy had the presentation and he spun down the old process, spun up the new one, everything was restarted, the state was still there. I'm like, my God, that's really yeah. amazing. And so I, it's interesting to see that that was your library. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to see that. Yeah, that was great. Uh, he didn't even tell me he was going to do that. <laughs> he just popped up and he was like, hey, I did a talk. I was like, well, okay, cool. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, showing something like that to somebody, I think, is like really um, uh, attractive, right? To, to 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 do this kind of stuff. So um, it's cool. And now 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 I have the, his project queued up. I want to look at it again some more. Now that I kind of understand a little bit more what's going on. I think he made some kind of like game, right? A tank game or something like that. Yeah, so, called uh, Tanks T A N X. But right. he did use an umbrella project, which I don't agree with. I don't know. <laughs> I can never oh. wrap my my <laughs> mind around those things. Yeah. Absolutely, those right now. Yeah, I think I think we share our dislike for Umbrella. <laughs> I think most most of our guests lately have been on that that side of the aisle. But yeah, I think it has its use, but uh, most people probably don't need it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we can head off over to uh, to picks. Uh, Adi, you want to go ahead? Since um, you're in a rush. Yeah, uh, I guess air conditioner. I guess. (laughs) I guess. I guess a couple picks. Uh, um, One ElixirConf EU. The call for speakers is open, so if you want to give talks, uh, they are very, very receptive to um, beginner entry level talks. Uh, They, they, in fact, there's been a lot less number of beginners to give talks that they would. Pretty much, all, it's like almost guaranteed to accept your talk if you're a beginner uh, at this point. I mean, no promises, but you know, <laughs> uh, uh, pr- take your time. We still have like a few days, uh, but yeah, please submit a talk. It's it's very it's a great way to give back to the community. Uh, another pick is since we talked about Horde, I'm gonna pick Horde. Um, uh, check it out. I'm gonna try it out in a side project as soon as I get a chance. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it seems like a very simple interface, which is always awesome. Um, very easy to understand, like uh, Derek was saying, very Elixir-like interface. So uh, yeah, give that a try. That's my pick. So yeah, for my pick, uh, actually, I just lost my mind. What, what was my pick again? Okay, well, why don't you go, Derek, because I, I lost what my pick was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what this is. What are, a pick of me anything you said? <laughs> Yeah, something interesting, maybe a new TV show you're watching, a book, uh, anything like that. Oh, God. Uh, 
All right. Um, I'm going to go and expose uh, my weirdness here, but uh, or a hobby, I suppose. Um, my pick is going to be uh, people should learn to sharpen their knives. Get a, pick up a whetstone. Yes. Pick up a whetstone. The old ways are the, be- good, the best ways. And go on, you- oh, just yeah. go on YouTube and search how do I sharpen my knife with a whetstone. Everybody I talk to has dull knives. I think it's uh, a tragedy. That's really cool and a little weird. <laughs> yeah, over over here we have um, probably something similar where Adi is from. Because Adi, I think you're from like a small village, right? When in India or no? No, not from a small village. Opposite, okay. yeah. Um, but still, you may have something similar. Like we always have, like some guy on the street who can just sharpen whatever. I don't know if you had something like that in your town. Yeah, so 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 similar. So we have like random people that do stuff like that. Uh, so he just shouts out, I'm sharpening stuff. <laughs> and oh, yeah. Find him and give him your uh, your tool and he'll sharpen it for you. Uh, where, where are you uh, located? I'm in Hong Kong. Yeah, so I'm actually in the market. Uh-huh. So like, you know, like you said, the butchered up cows and stuff walking through. It's, it's well, not walking oh, yeah. through, being dragged through. Yeah. Literally dragged through on the ground. It's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, but uh, so now my pick came to my mind. Uh, just before I got into the podcast today, I, I got re-addicted, so addicted again, to watching uh, people trimming hooves of cows. I don't know what oh my God. you're watching for. You watch that stuff? Yes. yes. It's super interesting because like, like, I'm not super into cows, but it's interesting to see how they diagnose everything, the different tools they use, all that kind of stuff. It sounds weird, obviously. I do think so. Uh, but <laughs> if you're a guy who likes to do stuff with tools you'll be into it because it's like, okay, cool. You see this stuff whipping out these uh, grinders. They have a special tool just for trimming. I don't even know what the heck that thing is. It's very unique. Um, so I, I, right now I'm watching this guy called the uh, Hoof GP. I guess GP is for general practitioner. I know the guy, I think he's called the Hoof Guy or something. Is another interesting guy. It's really cool to watch them like diagnose this stuff out of your Your face is kind of freaking me out right now. <laughs> If you like this kind of stuff, I think you should check it out. At least watch a couple of episodes. It's really interesting uh, what they do. And it's cool how you see the cow go from very much in pain or, or you know, whatever to being very help, uh, very, uh, to be healed, right? It's pretty interesting. I've seen these. I've, I've uh, explored this uh, uh, dark corner of YouTube as well. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's something else. I never thought I'd be watching this stuff like religiously, but now I am. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, and with that, Derek, it's good to have you back on. Adi, um, shower up. Good to see you again. <laughs> Thanks and, for having me. Uh, yeah, Thanks, guys. And with that, see you.